Oh yeah, crack that right in front. That's good stuff. Oh man, it's really nice to have you guys here. This is just gonna Glad be, to be here. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah. Uh, it brings me back to our time in San Francisco together. A lot of good happy memories. How long? How long were you all together there? Oh yeah, four years together. Yeah, like fifteen to 15, 18. 19. Were 19? you in San Fran the whole time, Mac? Or? No, no, no. So <clears throat> yeah, so I was there for like the first <clears throat> year, and uh, by year I mean like ten months. Yeah, then you oh, then moved to, quick. Uh, yeah, and then moved quick. Yeah, so like half of our stuff was un unboxed, and the XO came down. Over oh, you know the XO at the time. Uh, San Fran came over and was like, hey, uh, so we need a couple guys to go to Magoo. What do you think? I'm yep. like, I will, half of my stuff, sorry, packs are like, Roger, not a problem, you know? Was that when it was stood up or? Yeah, it was uh, 16, I think. 2000, uh, 2016, May-ish, I want to say. Oh, nice. So Magoo plank holder. Yeah. Five Magoo. Nice. Dare, I, uh, dare I say the best wardroom that San Francisco the air station has ever seen ever. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like ever. the shenanigans that happened and the, the good stories. Well, we'll start, man. Cause I I'm staring at you, Kenny, and, and you got a good story about this one for, uh, just dealing with the weather and flying around the Bay area. But, uh, I was flying with Bo Bellinger and we were taking some Aton guys out to mile rock light, which is just outside of the golden gate bridge. I mean, you guys all know about this already, but I'll paint the picture. Um, two guys from the ant team, taking them out they got to do some work on it it's a helo pad covered in bird poop and uh literally like two inches two of inches poop. like the helicopter we go land out there will slide around on bird poop. yeah it's terrible and so this aircraft that we're flying out had some issues before i think it, it was the same one that a week and a half ago it caught fire one of the uh like the gcu or something back in the afrac and they landed in a dog park um so we land we drop them off we are flying away and both our adis precess and we get all these avionics stuff going on. We're like, nope, we're done. Uh, so we go back and we land and these guys are doing the work. We don't have anybody to go pick them up until uh, the next crew that comes back from Magoo or the oncoming duty uh, section. Um, Cause we were having some aircraft maintenance stuff, I think. But anyways, not supposed to be an overnight. It's not supposed to be an overnight, right? And so four hours go by and in comes Carl the Fog and just, envelops these guys uh i felt terrible because we just stranded these two poor guys on this thing but uh yeah what happened with you when you came in there man yeah so i think i was showing up to work at like noon or something and uh ops comes up to me and he's like hey uh hey, what, what are you doing for the rest of the afternoon and i was like uh I think I got, I'm just working on some stuff. You know, I think I've got an RT for tonight. He's like, oh, okay. I like how you said you're showing up at noon. That's, that's good. Yeah. I was probably getting breakfast. I yeah. probably should have been there way earlier, <laughs> but uh, when you're at Terminal 04, you can just show up when you want. Oh but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So ops is like, yeah, just, just stick around. We might have a case for you. I was like, yeah, well, what are the details of the case? And they kind of, he outlined what, what Sam just went through of like, yeah, there's two Aton guys that are stuck on this pad out there. The fog came in. We're going to wait to see if the fog lifts. Oh, by the way, we don't really have any aircraft right now. Otherwise, I'd go see if you could do it right now. So, okay. Yeah, no problem. Let, let me know what you need. There was an aircraft coming up from Magoo because we would swap aircraft from Magoo every week. So, Doobie, Mike Dubinsky is coming back from, right. from Magoo. And Sector tasked them to say, hey, can you go land on this? had to pick up these Aton guys and we would land on that pad for training pretty frequently. So it was not an uncommon ask. 
So Doobie goes and he's like at 2000 feet trying to like see if there's any holes. Doesn't see anything. Nope. Does like a, I think he did a let down to the water. Gets down to 75 feet. Is like, yeah, no way. Pops back up, comes back and is like, yeah, sorry. Like weather's too bad. I don't think we can get those guys. To his defense, I think he was on like five and a half hours of flight time and had a kind of a long, long crew day. Yeah, he'd already flown down to Magoo, right? And then he was coming back up with another aircraft. Right, and he was yeah. also concerned with just the, the ORM perspective of like, is this, a, is this a logistics mission? Are we picking up Aton guys? Uh, and he hadn't had time to talk with Sector about it or anything. So they come back and land. So Ops comes back to me. He's like, hey, yeah, I just talked to the Sector commander. Like, this is a full-blown SAR case. Like, we need you to go get these guys. I was <laughs> like, okay, so like, no weather men's. Like, just go get them. He's like, yes, go get them. Oh, my so God. So it was uh, me and uh, Dan Hilburn, Trailer Dan. I think he's coming to uh, Mobile yeah. this summer. Yeah, he's coming over here. Coming here this summer. Yeah, so I think he had just made aircraft command. I was like, hey, Dan, you want to hop in the aircraft with me and go pick these guys up? And he said, sure. So we go out to the uh, Sounds aircraft. like a good one. Like, you're just going to pick up some dudes? Like, yeah. Yep. Should be easy. They dropped them off today. Like we've easy been there before. Yep. Easy day. Uh, so we in San Fran is kind of interesting because the uh, where the airport is situated. It's normally VFR because uh, they report weather for the approach end, which is a lot further inland. So they'll be calling like, "Oh yeah, few at two hundred, unlimited visibility." But then you actually like go outside and look, and it's overcast, solid overcast at two hundred. You know, half a mile of viz. So you're like, okay. Uh, we'll hop on our low-vis route. So we have a low-vis route in San Francisco that we frequently train. And it gets us um, underneath the Bay Bridge as well as underneath the Golden Gate Bridge out to the safe water buoy. And then right. you can go left or right. Code mm -hmm. blue, right? Uh, yeah, I forgot what it was. Code, yeah. code blue. Is that to get out? Route out that was north. Like the, That's special VFR to get out of there, yeah. 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 Um, so, but the airfield was calling VFR because oh, it's okay. like half the field is overcast. The other half isn't. So didn't have to use the, Good the code blue too. But yeah, so we go out there and we're like, okay, well let's, I'd rather not do that if we don't have to. So we kind of got on top and we're like looking around for any holes. You're like, nope. It's like, okay, well we got two options. We could try to do like a letdown on the west side of the Golden Gate or we could hop on the low vis route. So we're like, oh yeah, we'll do the low vis route. I think that's better plan. So we're down at about 50 feet. We're up, IS out, heading select, 45 knots, you know, got the radar going. And it was, as we are like approaching uh, the Bay Bridge or so, I was like, oh, hey, don't we always talk about like having to call vessel traffic service? Cause like, <laughs> this is also the deep water channel. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, uh, better do that. Hey, uh, Sector, you got any outbound, inbound traffic? They're like, yeah, we got a deep draft guy right in the middle of the channel right now. And you're like, Okay, great. Glad we asked that question. So we like come back out of the fog, kind of circle for 10, 15 minutes. And then uh, we told, you know, Vessel Traffic Service, hey, give us a call when you're clear. We're trying to get the SAR case done. So they do. And we hop back on that low vis route once again, IS out, heading select 45 knots or so. And going out, and you're like, oh, there's a little radar blip right on our little purple magenta line there. She's so like, ah. Uh, yeah, let's come, let's come left a little bit. Sure enough, we come left and like out the right-hand side, you just see like a sailboat mast that's sitting at like 45 feet, you know, just like <laughs> oh. come out of the fog and then drift back into the fog. And you're like, okay. How well, high were you guys again? We're probably at like 75 feet okay. right now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the weather 
ceiling to the deck probably with about a hundred yards of visibility is probably what we're working with. So like you could see straight down, no problem. You just couldn't see anything out in front of you. Did you guys talk about outs as you were going through? Cause you know, just to paint the picture, you got Alcatraz and then between Alcatraz and the Golden Gate Bridge, you take a right to the north and you're going to go towards Angel Island and Sausalito. You take a left, you go into the city and all those high rises. So and if you keep going straight, you're at the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's a Bravo above you, right? And there's a Bravo above you. and Yeah. So we did. Yeah. We actually did talk about that. And uh, once we got on that low vis route, we basically said, we're, we're 100% committed. So you get out of the bay. To staying on this low vis route. Yep. Okay. Until we're out of the bay, clear of the Bravo, clear of the Golden Gate. And then we would be able to climb back up on top because the tops were probably at 1,800 feet or so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're just trucking along and just like, looking at the EFB and the radar and you're like, okay, Golden Gate Bridge is about a quarter mile. Yep. About an eighth of a mile. Still haven't seen it yet. The only time I saw the Golden Gate Bridge is when we were directly underneath it. I could look up and I saw the, the car deck, which is at about 200 feet. Yeah. Um, and then it went right, right back into the fog. So it was, well, it was pretty bad. That sounds terrible. Um, you're welcome, by the way, for giving you that star case. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we get past the Golden Gate, and it was like, all right, at some point we need to start looking for this for this pad, which we know is at about, it's probably, what, 40 feet off the water? Yeah, I yeah. I remember. I would say. Something like that. Is it a uh, long transit, or? No. No, no it's, it's quick, probably within a mile okay. of, of the Golden Gate. So, yeah, we go to the Golden Gate. And it's like, okay, well, we've got to start slowing down a little bit because I don't want to come up on this thing too fast because I don't want to have to miss it and turn back around in the fog because we also had a you know decent amount of wind, probably 10, 12 knots out of the west. So uh, I think we had good enough visuals with the water to be like, hey, Dan, how about, he was in the right seat, how about we go up Havog and um, that'll just give us a little bit of stability and I'll just kind of walk you through like, hey, let's just keep like 20 knot ground speed moving forward, you know? And we were able to just slowly creep through the fog and eventually found the pad and landed on the pad and picked those guys up. What did they say when you got there? Uh, I don't think they realized that they were really close to spending the night on that yeah. uh, on that little <laughs> thing. And all they had is their little overalls and that was it. Like they didn't have food, they didn't have water. Yep. Uh, it's have, a totally exposed. Totally exposed. Just you're there with the birds, right? And they, I think you can unlock the, like there might be a compartment underneath the pad. No, so I think they went down there and they couldn't get batteries and or they something. said it was like it smelled so bad of bird poop that they're like I don't think it's safe yeah, so that's when the sector commanders like deemed this like full blown star case like we are getting our guys off that yeah if I remember correctly the 47s from station gold gate went out to try and help them and they couldn't get close enough I guess the last thing they could have done was jump off there and try and swim but <laughs> yeah currents are pretty bad notoriously not great yeah notoriously not yeah, great I don't think I'd want to jump off of that thing dang Dang. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one, man. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Stretch of the limits. Do you think it was your toughest weather star case? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think just having flown in San Fran, like you're just so accustomed to it that I actually think we're probably like a little reckless in some senses sometimes of just, oh, it, weather's bad. Here we go. Yeah. And and off we went. Um, so I, I it, it didn't feel bad. I don't think I would have wanted to have done it nighttime. It was right around sunset. So we were able to have some pretty good visuals straight down about an hour after sunset. I don't think I would have uh, wanted to do that. Yeah. No, that's less you. fun. You barely see that sailboat mass and oh, yeah. that'll wake you up. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. 
shakes we did again we just steamrolled right into a conversation without any kind of introduction to our guests here today uh i'm talking with kenny kenny you want to just tell everybody who you are uh where you've been and uh we also got mac isom here we'll have him do it next and yeah just give us a little bit of background yeah awesome thanks for having me on guys i uh, really appreciate it so yeah. i was a cal maritime grad actually mac you're a are you a maritime grad too? Yeah, Kings Point all the way. Oh man, man. you're welcome, Sam. <laughs> maritime episode. Well, we got bored of uh, just three dimensional. We wanted to add another dimension, so we joined the flying world and flight school. I went to uh, Brinken, Hitron, San Fran, and I've been at ATC here for about two years now. Yeah. So, yep, that's awesome. Uh, what beer are you drinking? What do we got? I got uh, two right now working. It's a Lagunitas, double fist, the Hazy beer. Wonder. It's yeah. kind of a uh, I've been really into the hazy IPAs lately. Yeah, I can't do that like West here. Coast mm-hmm. IPA. It's just too much for me, but the hazy part kind of melts it out for me. Nice. Yeah, this is this is a tasty beer. I'm enjoying this. Mac Daddy, what's happening, man? What's up, Welcome. Man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. You know, uh, before I start talking about a bunch of stuff, I, I, I got a question, actually. Yeah, sure. Go, so, go like, it. just talking to, like, all of our friends out in the fleet, it sounds like this is kind of, like, turned out to be kind of a big deal, you know, this podcast. I think people are starting to eat it up pretty good, right? That's the hope. So, am I getting paid for this? Y- yes. <laughs> you got a beer that you can't drink because you have a night flight tonight. Yeah, exactly. That's your penance. Sorry, I have an agent and everything lined up. <laughs> oh, too much time in SoCal. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, If you can see Max hair, it's perfectly, yeah. <laughs> done for this show here yeah it's like yeah, the man. full joe rogan i know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically a, a fully attached helmet like crew helmet the whole time yeah if you, if you make us laugh enough we'll consider sponsorship <laughs> and then mac what's your background all right so uh yeah king's pointer out of king's point i actually sailed for about like six months or so uh ditched that i Besides went to you want to be rich yeah yeah just like yeah i was like I'm, I'm done with this i'm ready to be rich let's join the coast guard for sure you know <laughs> what i mean so uh let's see how'd it go dco in marine safety unit for a full tour flight school and then we went uh corpus christi mm-hmm. back in the uh the actual like naval air station corpus christi old school all old the water school, with man. the rust yeah with all the rust man yeah, yeah. Corrosion. uh that's Went uh, San Fran with you guys. I was only there for about a year, and then and then Point Magoo. The plank owner for a yeah, man, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was super awesome. Yeah, you're. Uh, I gotta I gotta send this out there, but there's a video of you online somewhere <laughs> from Corpus Christi days, right? Can you? Uh, can, I have no idea what you're you talking about. Can you explain? Nope. Uh, I have no idea. Right, maybe we'll get. Maybe we'll <laughs> I'll get, tell you. I'll tell you about okay. it. We'll try to link it in the episode. Yeah, well, we're definitely linking yeah. about it. Uh, okay, so. Corpus Christi, we have uh, we have our sector commander, air station CO. He's he's leaving out. He's retiring, uh, and it's change of command, right? So it's not the Lexington. It is the Lexington. It's a floating museum in Corpus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we set it up to to actually land on it, right? So we're gonna do the whole shebang on the flight deck. Well, actually, we're doing it inside of the Lexington, but uh, the uh, Captain Creech at the time now retired landed uh it's gonna be his last flight and then he's gonna leave out so the project officer was working with the uh with the xo at the time uh both good guys and and they were they were thinking they're like okay we kind of want to do something a little out there a little goofy for for captain sam creech leaving out so he's like uh, 
who do we know that's dumb enough to do some kind of funky <laughs> chicken dance, <laughs> you know, as, as the LSO. And then uh, they both, I guess, simultaneously agreed it should be Mac Isom. Oh my so, God. So they asked me, so, uh, ceremonies over with retirements over with, uh, and they, they're hugging it out. It's kind of an emotional experience, you know, so and, is this happening on the fly or had you known? I, I knew for about a week ahead okay. of time. Okay. Yeah. So I had about a week of panic, uh, <laughs> to figure out exactly how this is going to do, how, how I'm going to do this, you know, Perfect actually for the most amount of time, I was thinking about having some kind of like a, like a karate fight with myself kind of thing, you know, in front, in front of everybody. But I, I didn't, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. I think it was going to be not as funny in my, as it was in my head. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and so, yeah, they spooled up. They're on the flight deck. Everybody's watching. I'm talking to everybody, like the governor. I'm pretty sure I saw a couple stars there from different services. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I think the mayor was there. The whole sector, everybody that did show up at least, right? So I'm out there, I, and I have the LSU suit on, right? You know, the, the, the yellow jumpsuit. They actually still had one on the Lexington. They're like, yeah, go ahead and borrow it, you know? So I'm out there. Uh, they get the engine started. So, so the plane started, and then I start this dance routine. <laughs> and, and I think I blacked out for a solid 30 seconds. And, uh, I, and I walked away either thinking I'm going to get a pat on the back or I might've just lost my job. I don't know, but I'll <laughs> let you link it. I, I, both shakes and I are feverishly searching YouTube right now to see <laughs> if we can find the link for people. Yeah. Podcast think, still voice only, unfortunately, but yeah, yeah, we right. haven't found the video yet. So I think I'll, I'll throw it out. I think it's called helicopter hand signals. It's oh. the best way to do it. So YouTube helicopter, helicopter hands. So did you actually have a, a choreographed dance or did you make it up on the spot? Oh no, no, no. no. It was on the spot. Okay. I, I will admit this though. I will admit I watched, uh, Oh yeah. Third down helicopter gets surprising hand signals, taxiing for takeoff. 21,000 views. I think we can up 21,000. I think after this episode, I think we can get it to, to 30,000 yeah. uh, views there. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's, yeah. it's worth your 48 seconds. Yeah. I'll tell you what though. I, I had no idea what I was going to do rolling into it, but I did actually watch the back end of uh, Napoleon Dynamite once or twice, you know, just a little bit of an encouragement, you know? So yeah, uh, uh, but that's it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So um, were you guys both, I mean, you, this was your third tour going to San Francisco, your second. Yep. Um, did you picked up IP Mac I in did, yeah. San Francisco? Yeah, I picked up unit IP. I, I picked it up once I got to Magoo. So as soon I, as they saw the funky chicken video. That's it. They're you, like, you, clearly this dude this needs man to be instructed. He laid low for, sure. for a year in San yeah. Fran. They yeah. found the video, <laughs> instant IP. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, so I'm curious, right? So you're in ATC working now. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit about being a fleet IP, uh, especially cause you're doing events that aren't something that we do here, like right seat skills. Oh, that's gotta be an right. interesting one to do yeah. flying around. Yeah. How'd you like it? What do you think? You know, being perfectly honest, I mean, I'll, I'm going to probably look to Kenny and you guys maybe a little bit more. When I was in Magoo, I, I did, I definitely hit, uh, IP FE, but just because of the nature of being kind of a smaller, you know, a smaller unit, even though it wasn't a unit amongst itself, it was just like a small handful of people. And then like San Franians deploying down there constantly. Yeah. I didn't have probably as much like instructional demand. Mm -hmm. So I had just enough to like mate my, 
my six piss annually, almost maybe a little bit more than that, but, uh, I'll, I'll jump in there. I, yeah. yeah. Jump on about like defensive posturing for right seat skills is totally different than like a RT one RT three man for right seat skills. Like I have one hand on like the door jettison and the other one on like my huge <laughs> bottle. Like the totally second different. something goes wrong, like I'm going to be out of that yeah. house so fast. You know? <laughs> the pilots will be like, Hey, what's, Oh, he's not even here anymore. Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's, he gone. He gone. So that's a, that's a thing, right? Cause you're sitting left seat. You can't see anything. No, you can't tell what's going on. How do you manage that? Uh, the echo has a, a video screen now. Oh, there you go. Uh, which is probably a whole nother discussion that we could talk about. But, uh, I think over the years you kind of just develop a little bit of, you just kind of know when something's about to go wrong of like, Hey, like we're approaching this boat way too fast right now and maybe stop it then instead of like letting it get too far. And I think the the longer you do it, you just kind of slowly build that bubble of when you think like, okay, I would need to take the controls to, to prevent, um, you know, a catastrophic, you know, hoisting evolution. I actually, I don't know if you remember this, Sam, but there was a, uh, your, your right seat skills qualified. This will be good. Here we Uh, go. Oh yeah. yeah. Here we go. And so we're hoisting with station Monterey, you know, six to eight foot seas nighttime. And I don't think you had had an offshore hoisting event, like an offshore one. We do a lot of in inside the Bay in San Francisco. It's like, Hey Sam, like, how do you feel? You you want the right seat? Like, yeah, I do. Like, okay, great. Let's go do it. We're also the ready. So we go out, we do, we start with like a trail line and it, it goes, it goes pretty good. Do another one. Like, Hey, I want to try it direct. You're like, okay. I have no recollection of this, by the way, just keep going. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> it's been scarring for me. Yep. So like, yeah, let's try this direct. Just like, read okay. the mishap message. <laughs> yeah. uh, so like, all right, baskets on deck and you hear the flight mech start going like, all right, back and left five back and left 10. And then I hear Sam go like, yeah, I'm lost target. And then as right as like Sam's like lost target sectors, like we're diverting you for sorry. We got this PIW and there's like, they're just like talking in our ear the whole time. And I'm like, I, I got to tune that out right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you recover good, but it's one of those right. moments where you're just like offshore. You're like, okay, try to get some references on the water here and, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine think about, a maybe a humble IP, right. And they do all their offshore hoisting and you go out for right sea skills. I mean, uh, I heard a story with Ryan, our, our podcast producer, the swimmer who was on his flight for that right seat skills after his boat hoisting asked to not be put down. It's like, <laughs> this is just, this is just not going to work for me today. So there's gotta be some instances where, and you, you talk about like growing your bubble and, and you can speak to this too, Mac. Yeah. Like, does it take you a while to develop that spidey sense? Did you have some instances where you were teaching maybe and, and you're like, oh, I let that go too far? Or, oh, I yeah. definitely, definitely learned yeah, something actually, good from yeah, that one. Yeah, so unfortunately, the only way I can learn anything is the hard way. So yeah. You can teach me all you want. I got to go out there and maybe mess it up once or twice myself before I'm like, oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's why. That's why they talk about that. Gotcha. EP guide for a reason. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like, I think it was a right seat skills. It's funny. We always bring that up, right? So, but it was a nighttime one. And during, during the event, the, the right seater had a pretty good amount of, uh, illumination, had a, had a ton of visual cues, uh, hoisting reference, um, you know, natural, natural horizon reference and stuff like that. And I could tell from the left seat, I was like, wow, left, left looks terrible, mm-hmm. you know, under the goggles. 
so far the uh, so far the students actually been doing pretty good. Been doing pretty good through the syllabus. Finished up, you know, cleaned up Wrench Chat Part Three. I was like, hey, I want you to pedal left for me ninety degrees, you know. So we just banged a left, and I think that just even doing that, just trying to hover the thing. Uh, I was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and pedal right now. (laughs) This is pretty dark. And he was like, oh my gosh, you know? And then you can see that ground speed vector just starting to go all over the place, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is it. We're done, you know? So yeah, yeah, big time for sure. Um, Yeah, so I I only got uh, just like a couple right seeds still, so I didn't have too many hair raising ones. I'll tell you this though, any, any hair raisers that I had were like, DLQ landings, mm. just just within limits, but it's just it, it it can get pretty challenging, you know. But uh, do you have any good like good DLQ landing stories? Yeah, and actually, to be honest with you, I don't even think it was an ins- instructional event. I think it was just going out there, just 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 beating it up, just trying to get some mins, you know, before we before we lapse or something like that. But yeah, um, out there nighttime, we're doing MBG stuff and. As it turns out, there's a reason why you don't blast wave off lights at night. Uh, so they called for the wave off. We came in. I actually thought the approach and and the hover was was typical. You know, it's a little more unstable than you yeah. would over land. You know what I mean? But I was actually pretty comfortable with it. I wasn't actually the one at the controls. I think the other guy was flying. Of course, a call for the wave. Of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, you see the the hands waving, wave off, wave off, wave off, and you hear it over the radio. So we're like, oh, that's it. Start pulling some power. And you start climbing. Those wave off lights are co altitude with you, and you got your goggles on. They Turn, uh. turn those on. And I think that was the first time, at least my recollection, that was the first time that I actually grabbed the controls, zero challenge. I didn't even say anything. I just grabbed the controls. And then I started flying based on a hunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was so blown away, so spatially disoriented. You know, you, it's almost kind of like getting lays where you get that after image. You just got that green dot in your image the whole time. Mm-hmm. I can't see my gauges, can't see anything. It ended up being a big nothing burger, but like just stuff like that, where you think it's going well until in an instant it's not. You know yeah. What I mean? So, yeah, not necessarily something you have control over. Right. Like, yeah. Bummer. You can't really yeah. prepare for that. Yeah, for do, sure. Do you have any of those uh, instances when you're in Hitron? I mean, you yeah. probably did a lot of boat. I lands. feel like there was uh, two times where I've almost felt like maybe three times I've almost crashed a helicopter, and one of them was um, doing workups out of uh, Puerto Rico for a land-based deployment. And it had been a couple months since I had done a, a boat landing. We go out, we do the daytime, no problem. Do the normal shutdown, like go grab a quick bite to eat, talk with the talk with the boat crew, and start back up. You know, right around that pinky time. Of course, something happened. We got delayed a little bit, so it's nighttime. We're right off the coast of San Juan. Like great visuals, like good horizon. Weather was great. The the boat was at five and seven, so it was right at right at limits. It's a two seventy, and I come in for that first night landing, and man, I think I just spotted the deck. And I, as we were coming down, I started like a back and left, like a five knot drift, and boy, it's like, oh, this Oof. is not good. Like yeah. I need to wave this off. So I say like wave off. I go to pull power. The right, I think the right main is what initially caught and started like a roll. And you're like, oh, this is even worse. Like, I think we need to commit to this landing, you know? And so I think it was with Chad Thompson. Um, he also, like, I felt him and we both just like slammed the collective down. 
I think we were inside the circle. It, it wasn't a good land. We were nowhere near the grid, ho yeah. hoping we were in the circle. And it's just one of those moments where it's like kind of quiet. There's like a sigh of relief, like, okay, everyone's alive. Helicopters in one piece. We're okay. Um, okay, we're, we're outside the circle. Like we either need to call for tie downs or like take back off again, you know? Um, it was just one of those things where landing on the back of the ship at night is hard. I think it's one of the hardest things we do. I think it's harder than, than hoisting. And even for the guys that have been doing it at Hitron for three years, like you still are, I do. And I'm sure talking to other people is like, I almost get that like nauseous feeling when I see the back of a boat at night when it's like rolling around, pitching and rolling. So, so yeah. yeah. I gotta, I gotta land on that thing. That's wild. That's a good story. Um, yeah. So what, I mean, you guys have been here for a while now. Um, you've gone through two IP syllabi. Uh, did you guys feel prepared when you first jumped into being fleet IP? So for you probably Hitron, right? Or did you do it in Barinkin before you left? Probably, no, it was Hitron. Probably okay. excited to get qualified, right? Like, Oh, another, like, you know, another carrot, another wicket or something, right? Yeah. So I, the way my tour worked out in Brinkin was, I think I left at like two and a half years. So I was, I was a very, very junior aircraft commander. Um, so I think it helped good getting to Hitron where you get your mission qual, you go out on a 30 day deployment, you're not the PIC, you come back, uh, you go through your mission commander syllabus, then you go back out. Once you've proven yourself as a mission commander, then you come back and start looking at that IP realm. So I think that helped having that, that little bit of extra time because yeah, uh, I, I couldn't imagine being like a you know an IP right off the bat coming off of that Brinkin tour. So or even in your fourth year, oh yeah. you did probably didn't do four in Brinkin. I don't know what they do down there. Yeah, but it was it was either a three or a four, and then yeah. depending on like I think I showed up like January first was like my check in day, so it was a two and a half year tour. If I had checked in like December thirty first, it would have been a three, three and, and a half year tour. So I actually felt myself kind of gaining confidence as soon as I got to Hitron, because now you're flying with other aircraft commanders. There were some senior people there and I felt like I really got to challenge myself a little bit and that, you know, before we used to be able to do cut guns up to like whatever altitude, I think, right? I think it was whatever you want. You just had to go up in like five foot increments or something. Yeah. I think you had to start it, start at 10 and then you could go up five from there. So it was one of those things where you're like, do it from 20 and you're like, think we do it from 25. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we do it from 30. You're like, yeah. And then you do it and you're like, okay, that's starting to get a little sporty. Let's try 35. And you're like, yeah, let's not go over 35 that's right a, now. A, you know, that, yeah. that's good. So I think um, that's going back to what I was talking about earlier. I think that's where that bubble starts to kind of grow. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part about being an IP is when do I need to like jump in? When do I need to intercede to prevent a mishap? And I think that's, that's the biggest part that for me was feeling comfortable of knowing when that moment was. Yeah. Say what about you, Mac? <clears throat> so I think the question was like, Hey, did you feel comfortable or confident about taking on the role and responsibility of being a unit IP? So I guess my answer would be no. Um, yeah. Did I have the, the knowledge and the experience, sure, yeah, uh, I'm there. I'm I'm ready to go. Maybe do do some reading up a little bit. Uh, I'm excited to kind of further my my career for sure. Uh, but I say, as far as the, I probably lacked in confidence just a little bit, just because. Well, at least for me, like in in Corpus and in San Fran, going going here in ATC through T course, P course, like 
terrific instructors, absolutely terrific, like just a wealth of knowledge, professionalism, confidence. And, you know, you just kind of measure yourself to that. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I want to be there, but I don't. Yeah, it's like I'd, Brody, like, uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not there. Yeah. Well, Brody, he's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's a good dude, man. But yeah, so I think I just lacked that a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but they're like, you'll be fine. And it ended up being okay. So, uh, and then you just kind of grow into it. You know, you learn, uh, you learn things about yourself, um, your own personal methods of instruction. Um, you know, I, I think the couple things I would say is like, you know, if you're a brand new IP is like, don't look to try to like reinvent any wheel. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the stuff that we do that that's approved in the flight manual or, or 3710, um, you know, it's there for a reason. So if you're trying to make something unique, I guarantee you, you're not, you're probably not the first person to think of it and others before you may have, it may have succeeded, may have not, I don't know, but, yeah. uh, just kind of keep that box a little bit smaller, you know, so that way you can kind of train what you're supposed to. And here's the other thing too, is like, um, like, like congratulations, you just you just made unit IP, maybe mm -hmm. even FE. That's another thing, and that that's awesome. But that doesn't mean you know everything, right? So you still got a lot to learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, and I'll I'll give you an example. I think my first, or it was it was one of my first um, first events uh, was with Doobie again. We were doing his uh, instrument procedures check, right? We, it was in the midst of an aircraft swap. I, I know that too. Uh -huh. So we were swapping out aircraft with San Fran and we, we met up in where we normally do, which is San Luis Obispo, you yeah. know what I mean? We're there, we meet up, crews have have brunch right there in that, that eatery, whatever it is, that greasy spoon, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we're gonna do the back half. We just finished like part one of his instrument procedures check, right? This is an annual? Yeah, just yeah, the annual, sure. yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's time to go home, right? We, we swapped the planes, we're in the, the other aircraft. He's sitting right seat on left seat and we're, we're starting to plane up. We're about to do part two and finish it up, you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know if you guys remember or not how like Central and South California love dishing out those, those terminal. Oh yeah. Those, terminal procedures that nobody knows exist, you know, and half of them are like a, like a VFR route. If you asked me where to find those, the, I wouldn't be yeah, able to tell the you. Tech routes, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Tech, tech routes. routes. Terminal and, yeah. Yeah. One of those. And, and if you're not familiar with them they're going to blow your mind, you know what I mean? So anyways, As a technique, when I got one of those, I would just yeah. try to sound panicked in my voice. And normally they would pick <laughs> up on that and be like, uh, yeah, can you just fly two seven zero? Like, yeah. yes, I can. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So, so he was on the controls. I'm the guy talking on the radio and, and I knew what he filed for something very basic. It was like, I can't remember the Gaviota one departure or something like that. The, the standard way to get out of San Luis Obispo. Yeah. You know I mean, so I'm ready for that. I already know what it is. And, uh, you know, six, five, whatever clears the very ready to copy, you know, like, and they're like, yeah, you're cleared, uh, Gaviota Victor 172 to this. And then they start stringing out all sorts of weird num numbers and letters. And it, this is the first time where I had no idea what was happening. And yet I was checking the other guy. You know I mean? <laughs> so I just looked at Doobie. I'm like, my controls. You, know? <laughs> you better figure out what's happening. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the point is, is like, 
you still got stuff to learn. And, and the other takeaway is, is like, it's perfectly fine if you don't know everything and, and just confess and be like, you know what? I actually don't know that one. Yeah. I'll look it up with you, you know? And, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, it shows some humility. And uh, I think that instills a little bit of trust in the guy that you're either trying to instruct or, or check like, okay, this guy, he's not a robot. You know, he, he's like me. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I've stepped on my own words and I'm going to do it again. Yep. I'm going to do it again after that. Like it's yep. just, it just happens. Yeah. I'm going to learn something every day from someone whether it's like a instructional technique or some, some FA facts or something I didn't know about. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, are you guys talkers in the plane or yeah. do you do like, are you a big briefers? Some people are like big briefers or I think I'm quiet. I think I've become that way. I, I have become that way since I've been here. And I'll tell you this, like, especially when, and I don't think this is just me as well, but like doing a T course event, doing the day land stuff, it is three, three and a half hours of talking. You know what I mean? So it's just, just yap, 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 talking about everything between what to do with the cyclic, what to do with your feet, everything. So Max, definitely a briefer. Talk to the uh, co-pilots in San Fran because they'd be like going down to Magoo and they like, knew they were in syllabus. They'd be like, hey, who's your event with? And like, oh, the hammer. <laughs> who's the hammer? What like, are you talking like, about? <laughs> you didn't know this? Are we still recording? Yeah. <laughs> all all the co-pilots and first pilots would be like, yeah, don't brief with Mac Isom. You would crush people in the brief, dude. See? Wow. Yeah. What are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> really? What do you mean I'm crushing people? Because you, you study so hard and then you ask in-depth questions, which is good. And then, I don't know, we got nervous. Man, <laughs> I don't know if I ever brief with you, but that, Kenny, Kenny holds true. Like, yep. Well, I mean, now, I mean, I didn't think that about myself. I mean, now, like, if I'm doing a, some kind of a... Why do you think we call you course? Pain Train McLean, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was for other reasons. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's like turning into an intervention here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but no, good. I just, I usually just have my student at the position of attention while he's drawing on the dry erase board. That's pretty that's, common. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not you. That's right, keep doing nice. that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a briefer type of person, but I will challenge you in the flight for sure. Uh, I love doing things that people have never done before, you know? So like, <laughs> You ever done a hoist from 80 feet? No. Okay, cool. Why don't we come up to 80 feet? Do it. Like, yeah. Oh, I'll take Hubbog. Nope, no Hubbog. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's not intended to be a, a jerk, but it's intended to like get people outside of their comfort zone. Because guess what? You can't always hover at 35 feet to the, your mm -hmm. contract boat that we're so ingrained to, you know? Like, yeah. you might go to a shrimper. You might go to a sport fisherman that has, um, you know, a 45 foot, like, and there's 10 foot swells. Like, where do you feel comfortable hoisting in that? So, yeah, I mean, I'll toot your horn, dude, because I have flown with you a lot in San Francisco and here. And, and I always learn a lot on those flights because you always think of these out of the box things. Um, you know, what happens if you have a feed tank failure and you've already been go down to 300 pounds? What are you going to do? Like, you're probably going to flame out an engine, that kind of stuff that I never really think about. And I think... Um, those kind of IPs add a lot of value in addition to the IPs that are strictly per procedure because those get you, you know, flying the way that the, the dash one wants us to fly. But that gets you thinking probably the more the, the way the 3710 wants us to think for risk and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, important to be standardized and know the procedures and then also to apply them and expand your comfort zone. And yeah, hey, your star case is not going to be canned. It's not going to be a simple 
No, it never is. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's part of like a healthy IP cadre at a unit is you've got someone like a uh, Mac. You're like, Oh man, don't brief with Mac. Cause you guys will, you guys will tear into that dash one or 3710. Me, I'm like, please just, I hope you study so I can ask you like spot, spot check you, make sure you can get the answer out. Like, awesome. Let, let's go find and learn some stuff or apply it in some of those gray areas. Don't worry. You never part up to Dusty Williams though, man. That was, that's the guy you had to study for. Yeah. He was, he was good. He, he was, was the kind of guy you would actually polish your shoes for. Oh yeah. You know, before you, you go better brief, be, you know better what I mean? be ready. Yeah, it's yeah. a different mobile in 2021. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tell another story of, yeah. of Sam Hafenstein because oh, he's a nerd, nerd closet, <laughs> uh, closet nerd, I should say. So we're, I'm doing, I think it was like your first pilot, uh, night procedure check and Sam's crushing it. So I'm like, all right, look, let's ratchet it up a little bit. So it's like, all right, uh, we're going to do some AFCS off. Like, let's pick up. I want you to slide, you know, left cross cock, you know, looking cross cockpit. I want you to be at 18 knots ground speed. So like he picks up, he's like sliding left. I'm like, dang, I think that's probably better than I could do. Like, okay, what are your EGI symptoms? I was expecting him to be like, yeah, pitch roll and yaw and maybe the attitude flag. The dude starts rattling verbatim from the red book. Like, <laughs> I pull out the red book and he literally spouts all seven symptoms of an EGI failure. I was like, you passed, man. Oh, uh, hey, I was studying a lot back then. I, st- I think I still have it in there, hopefully. Don't ask me that on your P course when you come through, folks. Are there seven? Uh, I don't know. Do no, I think, thing? I think no. there's like nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. You got them all. Whatever, whatever <laughs> Sam's like, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, what was your NSS in flight school? I can't say that, dude. Okay. That's, that's top secret. That's top secret. Hey, do you guys have a favorite instructor that you've, uh, like, because obviously your IPs now, but grown up? And what their technique was that you really liked or, or maybe do you have a, on the other side, do you have somebody that you don't have to name them, but that you didn't like their techniques as an instructor either or. I remember, uh, an IP, I think might've been Baxter actually was coming and giving me a first pilot stand check. And, uh, that was actually one of the other times I thought I was going to crash an aircraft. So during a stand check, during a stand check, Ooh. ATC stand check for just May 1st pilot. We set up to do a hoagie. There's like 22 knots of wind off the nose. You're like, okay, this will be easy, right? And I don't know what happened. I think the wind just died. So we were planning on 22 knots of wind. He flips the switch and like the bottom of that helicopter dropped out. Oh boy. And it's like, oh my gosh, like nose. All you could see is like runway. I felt like the collective was bottomed out, you know? And I had enough time to be like, yep. This is it. Like I am going to crash on my stand check. <laughs> this is how you fail a stand check. And so we like get to the bottom, still like twenty degrees nose down. And you're like, well, pull the nose up, level it, and pull a whole bunch of collective, you know. And we land, and typical Baxter's like, huh, nice dude. And I was like, that, that's your response, you know? He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know, but you did exactly what I would have done, and here we are. You ready to do it again? I was like, no, no, I think we <laughs> no, did it. No. I think that was good. You know, <laughs> let's do an AFCS um, off lap or something. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try an AFCS off too. But he actually said to me, said something to me on that stand check that didn't really sink in until like a couple years later, but he's kind of led onto the fact, like, I, I think you're a better pilot than you give yourself credit for. And by that, I mean, how often do we be like, all right, this can be a no hover to the numbers. And you're like, 
dude, I, I hope you can hit the numbers. It's a 60 by 60 block, you know, it's instead big. of, yeah, like aim small, miss small. So say I am going to land, the nose wheel is going to be on the top of the one, you know, mm-hmm. and it just gives you that framework to say, oh man, I was eight feet long on that landing and two feet right of center line. But if you never actually gauge yourself, when you find yourself in a situation where you need to have a precision landing or a precision hover, like you'll never have challenged yourself. So I definitely uh, impress that on my students of like, yeah, expect perfection. Like mm-hmm. that, that's what you should be striving for. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What about you, Mac? You got a favorite IP? <laughs> Man. Like, I mean, you can like say a- absolute favorite. Yeah. I didn't want to say we're recording and I'll <laughs> talk later. No, I just, I, I can't think of all of them other than just start name dropping. But, uh, uh, I tell favorite you what, evaluator, favorite IP, you name know, drops are welcome. You know, who was great on the sand visitor. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I would say, I, I know I'm going, I default back to point McGill on almost everything I talk about, but the, the team we had there, you had, you had Dakota, you had Joe Hill, Rolla, Tim was an IP, but he was really good at what he was doing. And just like, just being around those guys all the time. And you got Tamburello too, right? Yeah, Tambo was a yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pilot. yeah, yeah. Tambo, uh, Chris Artak, he came from here over to over to Magoo, but uh, just they would, uh, I don't know, especially just that that wealth of knowledge and confidence to be like, hey, and kind of like what 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 Kenny's talking about is like not always doing your thirty five foot hover to your contract boat and they would be like that too they would they would always have some kind of outside the bots you know thinking um and i'll give you an example actually uh i use it here um actually i'm I'm looking at ryan right now it's it's my my land ditch immediately the ditch over the land so to speak you know Mm -hmm. uh so um dakota actually taught me and i love it i try to use it as much as i can if you have you know, a decent amount of fly out and wind, wind and stuff like that. But finishing up from from the uh, from the hoist, rescue chat part three, you're starting to d- depart away from the water. Give yourself a, a legit EP that is really going to, you know, digress quickly into land ditch, um, and go through the motions of you know getting out your mayday call, uh, configure the plane, talk about flows, talk. Hey, flight mechanic, where, where is your jettison handle? Hey, swimmer, wh- where's your, uh, where's your handhold? Like right now for ditching right now and come, coming back around check, you know, I'll check my high loss and stay above it, but I will actually kind of maneuver the aircraft to where it almost feels like we, we splash in the water and I'll manipulate the controls. Like we're in the water, you know? And so now you have to having to go through your egress procedures with the uh, with the motion of like you're you're floating in the water kind of thing, so it it goes from in whatever you know name the EP mm-hmm. or or a compound EB. So now you got a couple of them into your land ditch, but you're actually flying the aircraft around and then into your egress uh, going through that. And it can be a pretty uh, <clears throat> you know dynamic uh, maneuvering in the aircraft, and that's how it's actually going to be. And I never really thought about that until. You know, you get these like these guys that are just really good natural instructors that kind of show you the ropes on something like that. So yeah, Dakota uh, did that to me, and it was yeah. the 
you know, I was, I was such a new co-pilot or first pilot that I had, uh, the EPs memorized, but I didn't have the EPs where I could like in a situation like that, like my brain kind of yeah. just slowed down and almost shut yeah. off. Right. And he's, he did that, came down to a hover and he starts stirring the pies like, Hey man, we're floating around yeah. in the water. What are you going to yep. do now? And I'm like, I don't, dude, I don't know. Yep. Pop the floats, talk to somebody. I need to get out of here. Cause like yeah, it was really there, good training. therein lies the human factors part of it. You know, now you're, now you're, now you're stressed. Now you're stressed. scared. Yep. You know, like you're starting to feel things like, Holy smokes, this is, this is happening. Like where, where is my reference point? Oh, I guess it's here. Like, okay, well, putting yourself in that situation. It's just a different way of training, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, just to give you an example, but like, yeah, ha had a couple really good instructors over in Corpus too. Uh, right, right off the top of my head. I remember, uh, Keith Thomas, if you guys know him, he's, uh, he's flying, uh, what's he flying now? He's, I think he's a EO over in, uh, Cape Cod right now. He's not flying the 65 anymore, but, uh, yeah, he, he definitely had a, an, a knack for, having his training box a little bit bigger, a little bit wider, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so like poor illumination, hoisting, not a problem that actually that's better training, you know? So, uh, and, and, and again, that probably comes with experience, but, uh, yeah, some, some solid IPs out there in the fleet. Yeah. I think sure. almost like right now is more important ever to like do more of that, right? Like with less training opportunities in the 65 and, limited flight time and, you know, just aging aircraft. That's not the most reliable, you know, like making that time valuable, you know, yeah. don't just like, okay, now I'm just going to punch the AFCS off and like do a lap. Like, let's see if we can make it like fun a little bit and, and interesting and, and add value to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Cause I think we sometimes get into this training rut. Um, I like, want to go look at the whales dude, or do the same thing we do every time or yeah. I mean, yeah. you're beach cruising. Yeah. Got to do it. That's one of my favorite things. I mean, who doesn't like doing that? That's yeah. my bread and butter is, oh, yeah. is beach cruising. I mean, it's hard not to when you're in Magoo. Yeah. You no, know? but, uh, you know, I, I think as pilots, we, you know, in a, in a tight knit wardroom where we're good friends and we hang out with each other and then we work together, you don't want to go out and embarrass yourself next to your buddy. Um, so mm -hmm. it's easy to be like, okay, that no hover went great. Sweet. Moving on. Instead of saying, Hey, you know what? I haven't done AFCS off in a while. Like it's kind of windy today. Let's do some AFCS off and I'm going to slide. I'm going to do a pedal turn and kind of, kind of push yourself a little bit in fear of making a mistake or like, well, that was kind of rough. Like, I think I need to do that again. You know? Yeah. I remember Kenny, you and I went out together like a while ago, maybe a year ago when you were just starting in the echo and we went over to diamond head in the, which is one of my favorite airports. Super cool. Like fly in airport. That's public. It's, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, we went out and we were goofing around and, and you know, the road, uh, just North of the airport is not quite perpendicular. So it's like a little allusion to that for every time you're doing a lap in the pattern. And then, um, I remember we did AFCS off and both of us were like, wow, that was not my best. And then we just focused on that a bunch and we were pretty critical of each other. And yeah, we did some of those, Hey, let's hold 10 knots down the runway and let's do some Wifferdills or something, you know, like it's, it's two IPs, got a big runway, it's nice and quiet. Like let's, let's push it a little bit and be critical, you know, like why not? Yeah. I'm not going to hurt my feelings. If what you're doing is easy, like you're not, you're never going to get better, you know? So yeah, you definitely well, got to challenge yourself. I find it interesting too. Like you guys talk about the, um, scenarios that you bring to your flights with students, um, talking to that as an IP. I mean, when you go into a flight with somebody, Kenny, how much prep work do you put into it? Do you, I mean, you 
do you just go into the flight and uh, you've probably done a lot of scenarios at this point that you have a lot in your tool bag, but do you show up to a flight without a plan and then I'm going to make it up on the fly or do you put some time into it beforehand? What do you usually do? Yeah, I would say definitely as a new IP, I would definitely think about my plan and I would kind of lay things out of like, hey, when would I want to introduce this EP? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been doing it long enough now where I kind of just, I like to feed off of the student, you know, and see like, what are they struggling at? And kind of just poke a little bit until you see like, oh, there's their uncomfortable spot. Like we need to make that better because... Yeah. And I think it's different here at ATC as opposed to, you know, when you're out in the fleet, you know, I think our ATC, like, Hey, we got to get you a co-pilot that kind of has a, a broad strokes on everything versus a fleet IP. Like you're the one that's going to sign him or her off to stand duty on their own. And you want to feel good. I think mm -hmm. as, as a FEB to say, yeah, you, you've got the keys, like you're out and you're going to have no sleep and it's going to be the worst weather night of your career and you're going to be challenged and it's going to be a time sensitive mission. So, um, yeah, I, I want to find where you're weak. Uh, that's my job is to find where you're weak and make you better. So, yeah, I think it has evolved. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the unique resources we have here is like so much access to a bun bunch of other IPs that if have a bunch of tricks in their tool bag, like Sam was saying, or um, everyone's really open and willing to talk about like stuff they try, you know? It's awesome, like, hey, Mac, I just tried, the, I did this landing of this pad, or it was awesome, you know? I think you're gonna go do a similar flight, you know, like bouncing off each other, talking about techniques and different stuff you tried, uh, high altitude hoist, or, you know, trying to get a, a hoist with the station when the contract boat cancels or something, you know, or the cutter uh, is, is good value. Try different stuff. Yeah, I think especially since, uh, you know, with COVID and this reduction of flight hours, I think there's going to have to be uh, a little more of that sitting around the the uh, keg and talking about stories because, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to replace those flight hours somehow. And yeah, hey, I went out and I think it's just a, a good indication of a good aviation culture when you can come in and say, oh man, I almost crashed and it was because I didn't prepare myself or I let something get too far or, um, you know, I, I wasn't proficient and I didn't speak up and I knew I wasn't proficient and I accepted a mission that I shouldn't have or like, oh, hey, this is a really cool airport you can go check out. It'll really make you focus on like keeping your head scanning because it's dark. And I mm -hmm. think that that's going to be really important over the next, you know, 12, 18 months. Yeah. yeah there's a, there's a good book by um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He talks about like the 10,000 hour rule, how once you get 10,000 hours in something, uh, whether that's like writing computer code and your Bill Gates or flying a helicopter or whatever, like you kind of, your career can kind of take off and launch and you're truly a professional. And when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about like, it's just 10,000 hours of writing code. It's like the whole process. So to, to your point, you know, like sitting around the, uh, in a wardroom and having a beer, like, Hey, that kind of counts towards your 10,000 hours. You know, it's like flight time and sim time, but also like talking about mishaps and stuff you did, uh, good and you want to share or stuff you did poorly and you definitely want to share. Uh, I think that all, all counselors making us like definitely good pilots. Yeah. What about you, Mac prep work prior to, uh, I do, IP flights, I do yeah. for sure. It, it's changed, uh, definitely. But like reflecting back on a unit IP, I would do exactly what Kenny was talking about where you would sit there and kind of mentally rehearse everything that you think is going to happen and transpire all the way down to timing of an emergency and what kind of emergency and what you're trying to accomplish and all sorts of stuff. Um, 
I think I definitely still prep. I still, I still try to get in the books as far as like getting ready for an event. And, and actually that's, that's, um, just for personal gain, it, it's still really hard to find time to study, you know, get, break open the flight manuals and read that section that, you know, exists, but you just haven't looked at it in a while. So, mm -hmm. um, like for getting ready for an event, I still try to, um, but it's, it's changed quite a bit. So now I don't actually focus on timing of an EP or anything. What I, what I'm probably more focused on is what, what am I, what am I trying to get out of this? Uh, like, so for instance, you know, last week you, you finish up the, uh, a T course syllabus event with a basic SAR check, right. And they're going to Humboldt, you know, as an example. Yeah. So like tonight, after we're done with this podcast, I'm about to take uh, a commander from Hitron to go do his, his basic SAR check. So arguably maybe not the, the exact same, yeah, I'm going to follow the syllabus and, and get done what we need to get done. But it's definitely not their first, you know, rodeo. And I'm sure that they probably have plenty more flight hours than I do. Um, so as far as prep work, I'm going to think about what's going to be the most beneficial, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, try to get that, fi figure out, given, given the plan, given your crew and the boat you're going to fly with and, and the environmentals too. Um, exactly how you're going to conduct that mission, that, yeah. that, that training mission. So it definitely wraps back yeah. to what Kenny was saying about maximizing your time and shakes too. Right. So we got limited, limited resources, limited hours. Now what's yep. most beneficial? What's, what do you need? Yep. You yep. Oh, and then in the IP world too, like what's going to be best training for this person. I that? was, I was going to make another mention on that, like maximizing your, your flight hours that I'm sure the whole fleet is starting to struggle with now. Um, you can even make it more basic than, than maybe what we're even talking about. We're talking about maybe some, some scenarios or some thoughts, maybe go landing there. But if you have like a, uh, you know, a, fl a fleet aircraft commander that, that likes to do that, but he's just so bogged down on, on your collateral and this and OER season and yada, yada, yada kind of thing. You don't have to make it that complicated. You can, and that's always a great thing, but what about turning left as opposed to turning right? Something that simple. When, once you hit the shoreline, just a, a different decision to make mm -hmm. and go that route. When was the last time you flew inland in your AOR? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, just simple Only on stuff a like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Only on a staircase. Yeah. Or if there's good food, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, you can keep it, you can keep it simple if you need to, if, if uh, you're crunched for time, if it makes sense to do it and it's safe and accordance with your local SOP, go for it, you know? Yeah. I just want to put a quick plug in and we've been kind of talking about this all from like the perspective of IPs and, uh, and like what we do for instruction, what you guys do. Um, but uh, I think a lot of the instruction, if not like the lion share gets done by the ACs. Um, so maybe a different little box, a different experience, not necessarily a syllabus, but I think, you know, that's got to be where the line share the, of the instruction gets done, at, or at least the learning, you know, in the fleet. So, yeah, I had my first um, uh, collective parallel servo failure simulated EP given to me by an AC was Bo Bellinger. And he's like, all right, man, your collective's locked at eight. We need to land here. What are you going to do? 
and it made me think because I'd never had an IP or I'd never anybody asked me that one. I'd never done it in T course, you know, and that's just one that I feel like maybe doesn't get trained that often. And it was a really good experience for me. It's like, all right, how do I manage myself on the power curve? Do I land at 120 knots or do I slow down and, and come down to a, into a slower run and landing or hover with that? So yeah, that's a great point shakes. I like that. Yeah. I feel like your, your aircraft commander should be doing like a good amount of that teaching so that when, uh, FE goes to evaluate someone like hopefully they've seen everything that you might throw at them, you know? And I think that's a, a good sign of a, of a good wardroom. Yeah. Especially cause that AC probably had you as the FE on one of their right. events before. Yep. So right. They know Maybe it's just gouge. Yeah. You know, gouge yeah. works. I mean, it's still good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, switching gears. Either you guys have a most memorable star case Mac. I'll start with you smiling over there. Well, I mean, you just open the whole thing with like <laughs> describing Kenny's star scenario with a hundred yards viz. You want me to go after that one? Yes, I do. Oh man. That's all right. We'll come. I'm sure Kenny's no, got I, another one he can say. He's got a, he's probably got a hit on story uh, to tell us. Yeah. It's kind of an infa infamous one, actually, if you've ever heard the story about uh, us laying on the back of a cutter with a yeah, hundred. We'll, we'll table you for later, Mac. We'll listen to Kenny again. We got to make a more, a better story for you to follow up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there, there's a talent article and a safety mishap message out there on it. But, uh, so yeah, it's a, um, just like every other Hitron story starts off. It was a dark night, no illumination and the cutters at five and seven. It's about one in the morning, get woken up. Hey, the MPA is spotted a, a go fast. Okay. All right. It's go time. Um, so the cutter starts closing. We start talking about a game plan. We're going to close on the target of interest. We're going to launch the, the helo. We'll launch a small boat and hopefully we'll be able to intercept them. So we take off. George Matthews is my, um, co-pilot at the time. He was also a mission commander. So two mission commanders take off. Uh, weather was probably like a thousand to 1500 broken scattered type, just a, just a dark night. And, uh, we start getting vectored from the MPA. It's a, it's a Navy P3, I believe. And he's like, all right, uh, targets at your 12 o'clock, five miles. Like, Roger. Three miles. Okay. Two miles. Like, yep. One mile. Like it's directly off your nose. Like, do you see it? Uh, no. Like, okay, well you just flew right past it. And you're like, ah, we're like 500 feet, you know, like looking at this thing goggles, the gunner's looking for it on the FLIR. Doesn't see it. And the, the P3 is basically like, yeah. They're kind of going in between like four knots and like 15 to 18 knots. So I don't know if they had like a mechanical failure or something, but when it's that dark and that, that boat's not going fast and spitting out that white wake, it's just really hard to see. So we come, we get vectored back around. So we're just wasting a ton of fuel. We finally get on scene with it uh, close enough where we can start spitting off all the things that we need to say to get that SNO get the SNO process going. We're waiting, we're waiting. Like, okay, SNO is granted. Sweet. All right. We go through the checks. We're trying to get off our uh, warning shots. So George and the gunner are, are doing their thing. And I'm like looking out, you know, we're flying around at 50 feet over the water and like, I can barely see a horizon depending on like which direction we're looking. And it was required to have a discernible horizon MVGs. Hindsight probably should have been like, yeah, we don't have a horizon. Like we can't continue this mission, but we're all type A personalities. Like you've been waiting for 40 days for this one, one case. And here we are. So we continue 
we just can't get warning shots off. We can't get ourselves in a safe position. It was just so dark. It was like flying in, flying in the abyss is what it, what it felt like. So, yeah. um, it's like George, like we got to try to get warning shots off cause we're going to need to go back and get gas. So we can just get warning shots off. We can skip like a lot of the other process and come back. And if they're sitting there at DIW, we can just, you know, plunk them right there. So can't do it. I'm looking at bingo flash at 400 cutters, like six miles away. So I'm like, Hey cutter, um, we really want to get warning shots off. I'm going to lower my bingo down to 300. When we come back, I can accept zero delay. Absolutely no delay. And they said, Roger, we're setting flight con one now. Roger. Like, okay. Warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Come back, we come back around one more time. Can't do it. Like, okay, we're done. So we like transition forward and it's like, huh, I, I can't see anything right now. And you know, and we're at like 300 feet, 400 feet. And so the cutter's lined up. We've got a GPS position. We're painting them on radar. And you're like, okay. And that's when we kind of realized like it was raining. It was just raining so hard. Our, our viz went way down. So once again, we're up uh, heading select IS out at 45 knots. And you're like, see the boat? Nope. Like, okay. Can you see the water? Nope. I go, okay. All right. Uh, let's see sink down to 200 feet. Like see sink down to 200 feet. Anyone see anything? Nope. Like, okay. See sink down to 175. Cause anyone see anything? Nope. Like you see the little ticker on the, you know, the, the DME. Yeah, yeah the DME yeah. right now. So it's like 0.4. And you're like, okay. Hey, Cutter, what speed are you going? We're going 12 knots. Like, okay. All right, we're doing 40. Like, that's a pretty big closure, but I don't see him yet. So just keep keep going. Uh, we finally get to like 0.3, I think is what I remember seeing. And I asked him like, hey, do you guys have your flight deck lights on? Like, yeah. Like, all right. Well, we know that visibility is less than a quarter mile right now. So we just... We just kind of truck in. I'm like, George, I need you to start slowing down. He's like, I'm already at 40. Like, okay, all right, uh, let's go up Havog, you know? So like we go up Havog and I was basically kind of like walking him through like an IMC hover because we literally couldn't see anything of like, hey, you've got zero knot ground speed. I need you a little- He's up the hover page. You're like radar painting. Yeah, yeah. And it's literally like, hey, you're at zero knots ground speed. I need you a little more nose over, a little more nose over. And so we like are just like creeping in um, I looked down and like both the like fuel gauges are like 3% and yellow, right? Is that, is uh, that what the Delta does? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So like I'm looking at that and you're like, okay, well, this is, this is our shot, you know? So we finally see the cutter and George is like, you're, I can't see anything. Like your controls, your controls. I'm like, I can't see anything either. Like, what do you want me to do? He's like, all right, I'll keep the controls. Like, all right, you keep the controls. Um, and so we get behind the cutter and we finally just set it on down. Once again, I find myself not inside the, the little circle, you know, but we were just happy to be on deck, yep. you know? And so- Not gonna take off my position. Yeah, and I look over and George basically like, as soon as we hit the deck and parking brake set, tie downs are on, he like flops over like the center console and just has like an adrenaline dump and almost pukes all over the center console. So oh it's like- Oh my God. Oh man. So I called the cutter. I'm like, we're done. We're shutting down. We're done. Yeah. And uh, the the flight mech in the back doing like interviews afterwards, he's like, I was about 90% certain we were ditching in the water on this. He's like, I did not think we were making it back to the cutter tonight. So to make the make the story even longer, so- we say we're done. I go up and I'm just like, I'm like shaking from adrenaline. A, that, you know, we, thank goodness we made it back to the cutter. But then also like, 
Hey, did no one want to mention there was a massive tsunami heading our way? Like when I called back and said I could accept zero delay, that would have been a good time to be like, hey, just so you know, there is a the weather's like line. awful. You like, could save some gas to get back. Yeah. So I think we ended up landing with like 170 pounds of gas. Um, so the the TOI is still out there. This whole time there was another cutter that was steaming our way with another Hitron asset. And so I was like, yeah, we're done. You know, like grant the SNO to them. And D7 basically said, no, we've already granted one SNO from this case. We're not going to grant an SNO to another case. So it was like, it came down to the CO being like, either you guys do it or we lose this case. And so they, they said that they put that, I don't know if it was, yeah, I don't know if it was those exact words, but regardless, like that was the situation that we were in. Yeah. I mean, certainly perceived pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we, we, I talked to the crew and we ended up taking off again and I don't know if that was the right decision or not. I, I still struggle to think if that was the right decision or not. I've definitely had lots of people say like, dude, you're insane. I would have never taken back off again. Did you get the case? So we, we took back off and immediately we like do the level off checks and they're like, yeah, we, we got a search pattern for you for a bail recovery. And it was like, what? Like, yeah, we're going to have you search for some bails. The, uh, the small boat was able to get them like negative. We're coming back right now. So good. Yeah. That's Um, crazy. Yeah. It was definitely one of those, like, so happy to be back on deck. No wonder why you used that uh, method in the first story you told us with uh, Dan Hilburn in San Francisco. Yeah. You had done so it before. I have done uh, two catches, operational catches in my career, and both of them came out awful. And so I have definitely come up with different methods to get myself from, you know, visual with the water. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right, Mac, follow that up, buddy. Thanks for letting me go, uh, <laughs> go out again. He was so... Are you kidding me? He was ready for it. You're teed up. Jiminy Christmas. Uh, so here's the awkward part. In any sea story I ever tell is not my own. I usually just use Kenny's story. And <laughs> You're going to uh, tell a third one of Kenny? That'd be yeah, really funny. basically, right? <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't have any harrowing stories like that for sure. Uh, I think most of my stories usually end up in... Uh, a solid lesson learned of some kind. <laughs> um, I'm sitting here just trying to think of it. Um, There's always comedy involved. Do you have a pump delivery one that... Uh, who told you about I don't that? know. I heard something about that. Uh, <laughs> Ryan somehow heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the show notes. Uh, so Corpus Christi, uh, aircraft commander. Daytime, it was morning. Oyster boat is taking on water. And if I remember right, the, the captain of the ship... Doesn't speak English, whatever it is, calls his son, which is back in Corpus, lets him know, hey, I'm in a bad spot. You need to call 911. I'm starting to sink or something. Something to that effect. 911 call trickles down back to us. We start searching, right? So uh, we did grab a, our dewatering pump like like we're supposed to. Start going out there. He's stuck in the, uh, the ICW, but he has no idea where he is. So at least we know which half of the AOR this dude might be in, right? <laughs> so awesome. And he's not in open ocean. He's somewhere in the ICW. Great. So we'll start, we'll start kind of tooling along, you know, daytime, nice, nice enough weather. Can't find this dude on the first bag of gas. And uh, I think it was Port Lavaca. Anyways, we, we head on up there, get some gas and, you know, it being Corpus Christi, you can you can get some really amazing breakfast burritos pretty quickly while you're refueling. Oh, nice, you know? so, nice, yeah, excellent tip for sure. So yeah, breakfast burritos. We're back airborne. Uh, 
scooting along and then I think we assume the radio guard the way we're supposed to and we see a whole bunch of Coast Guard boats over in this area like oh that's kind of weird and then we finally put two and two together maybe they actually found them okay go over there start calling talking to sector corpus like yeah a couple 45s are on scene right now the uh the boat is either the two sisters or the twin sisters i can't remember what it was is simultaneously taking on water and going aground at the same time uh and it's kind of in the shoal water the 45s can't get to them Mm -hmm. um it was a nice enough day but very very windy either either a storm is about to blow through or just had uh, de- a decent amount of wave action in the ICW at least. Uh, and he's got enough water in the boat now that the, the I want to say it was the port stern starting to lean over and, and those waves are starting to kind of break over the deck kind of thing. Yikes. Yep. Get down there. He's not moving because he is partially aground so we can tell he's not moving a little bit like, ah, cool. Rest jet part two. Let's get this done. This will be easy. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I'm already writing my air metal in my head right now. Boom. This never happened. Nope. But <laughs> <laughs> so put put the swimmer down. Like, all right, swimmer's down. Let's uh, let's go ahead and put our our pump down, and uh, that goes well. Deliver deliver the pump. He gets it going, fires it up, and it's just it's pumping out water. It comes over the swimmer radio. He's like, uh, it's going good, but it's flooding faster than this pump is putting out. And uh, I can't remember exactly, I know it wasn't me, but I can't remember who in the team in, in our in the helicopter was like, well, you know, the 45s, they got pumps on them. Well, like, well, let's go over there, you know? So we get one of the 45s underway. Like, hey, we're gonna get underway. Uh, we're gonna grab one of those pumps from you. Roger, got it. You know, real quick, bang out a hoist, uh, grab a pump, which is, you know, like a can. It's not the same same kind of pump we have, right? Right. Get back over to the, uh, the two sisters. Uh, you know, go through the process, put the trail line down. Hey, this is a uh, in- indirect deployment of the uh, of the pump to the to to the boat. Well, and th- I'm glad we're podcasting it so everyone knows. So just so everyone knows, the the 45, you know, RBS RBM uh, pump doesn't float. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah, we we uh, indirect deployed a pump to the bottom of the ICW. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, dude, <laughs> that was that was rad. So uh, oh. and and I'll, I'll never forget the swimmer's face. He's sitting there holding the trail line. He's looking down in the water, and I could see from you know forty five foot hover. He looks up, and his face said what my mind was thinking, <laughs> like. Oh man! <laughs> I was like, "Hey, you guys got another one?" <laughs> like, actually, we do. Okay, I'm I'm gonna need that one. So you actually picked up yeah, another like, pump. Yeah, we went and grabbed another pump. <laughs> only we put it put it on the back end of this uh, of this uh, this sinking ship at this point. Yeah, put it down, and he he the swarm was successfully fired up the engine. Uh, if if I'm not mistaken, our, our dewatering pumps that we normally take with it has has a weighted bag on the discharge end of the hose, to, uh-huh. so you could keep the hose down. This one didn't, so it looked like one of those inflatable flailing arm. Oh yeah, and thing just basically like respraying. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> just putting the water back into the superstructure of the boat. You know, I was like, this is going well. This so is, this is great. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yep. So I would have loved to be on the 41 watching you drop yeah. their pump into the <laughs> yeah. bottom of the ICW. Like, yeah, that, that, why are they huh. just kicking it out? They must know. No, oh, they yeah. don't. Yeah. Know. They don't know. So between that one, um, I, I'd say like my favorite, my most memorable 
bizarre case was was again Corpus Christi mm-hmm. is my favorite. Well, I'd say favorite. It's probably my my only PIW case. Um, it's with Scott Steck Schulte. Uh, he's over in ALC right now. Mm-hmm. I taught him everything he knows. Obviously, actually, he was he was the unit IP. So I was <laughs> I was a peon at the time. <laughs> uh, but the way it was was it was a it was a just a personal craft out there, open ocean of Corpus. They were doing it was four guys doing some fishing. Storm blew through tip the boat over. Um, so it didn't get a mayday call out. They did have, um, I almost want to say they actually had immersion suits on. They had immersion suits on and life jackets. Nice. There's a offshore su- uh, supply vessel, an OSV going out to a rig, right? Mm-hmm. Runs across three of them. They're, they're hovered in a group, right? So picked them up and that's actually what kind of what kicked off the case recovered three of them immediately radio the coast guard and uh and that's what kicks off so like hey we got three we know there's one more out here and he just got separated from the group uh during the during the night they've been out there for 12 hours or something like that and so the corpus christi water temp it was summertime so it was pretty good water temp emergency suit life jacket confirmed piw i mean the coast guard flew through everything at this launched us it was uh scott and i on duty uh we i think we just came on duty so we have an we have an entire six hours on us ready to go how long had you guys been searching at that point so we we searched all day all day and we did oh i I think we did three bags already you did corpus did before you got on duty okay cool we get on duty we keep going with it They, they got two 45s on scene um, they've got one or two 87s on scene. I'm pretty sure they're flying a C-130 out of Florida for this. Um, the, I can't remember if it was the Falcon or 144 that we had at the time at Corpus. They had one of those on scene. Everything we had was out there. One of those airplanes. Yeah. One, one, one of them airplanes. <laughs> uh, and it's nighttime now. It's starting to get, it's looking kind of grim for us not being able to see them, right? We, we appear to be flying the same body of water over and over and over again. Uh, and then over channel 16, you hear a tanker. be like, hey, Coast Guard, broken English. Hey, Coast Guard. Um, I just heard the sounds of screaming float past us on our port bridge wing. And, and, and this tanker is way far away from us. Yeah. So we, we start, we start hauling the mail over there. Um, kind of link up with channel 16 or we probably switch them to 23 or something like that. We start talking to them and be like, yeah, I, this is my latitude longitude. I heard, you know, sounds of scream going down the port side. Uh, so we start searching vigorously. Um, it's in the area of, of Corpus's AOR where there wasn't a lot of illumination, cultural lighting. Mm -hmm. You could see Corpus lights kind of way off in the distance. It was a moonless night. So the illumination kind of sucked a little bit. It was clear, uh, not a lot of clouds, if any, but just the illumination was, was kind of rough. We start, we start just doing this random search. I don't even think, think we put in a sector search or anything. We're just searching. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the flight mechanic's like, got him. Mark, mark, mark. We mark position. Um, I'm sitting right seat. I'm the, uh, I'm, I think I'm a first pilot at some point. And uh, 
uh, right seat. Scott, he's the one signed for the plane. He's left seat. Uh-huh. He's like, okay, it, it's definitely dark enough. We need, we need to do a match for sure. Um, so I do the match or not the match. The match. match. Yeah. Correct know. that one a little Rarely. bit. I'm not brave enough for that. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so do a natch and they spot him. Right. And while, while I'm flying, we're visual. We're, we're just keeping about a 50 foot air taxi straight forward. Um, I can see one light and I, and I think it's a, either a stern light or an anchor light from that tanker that we just, that we were talking to. He's anchored up in an outer anchorage. I think it's, that's the only boat in there. And I've just got that one light that I can see. And right there, Scott sees him right, like close in on the left. Hey, I see him, my controls and wraps it up. And I'm trying to stay visual with that one light as best I can. My head's turning. He sent well, you into outer space. Oh, didn't he? yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so that's like my, that's my, oh, anytime wow. we talk spatial D and we go through the three types and stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that's definitely my main one. Like absolutely without any question, I was completely incapacitated. Scott was flying single pilot for sure. Wow. Uh, and I remember hearing him telling me, hey, hack my rat out, my, my power. I know my, my tail's kind of coming through the wind line. I'm still visual with the, uh, with the survivor. I couldn't say anything. In my head, I knew what was happening. I just couldn't say anything. And if we were going to put in the drink, I was just going to sit there and be along for the ride. So mm-hmm. we had a great discussion after that. You know, So anytime I brief Spatial D or, or the Army circular illusion, yeah. night illusions. That's kind of like my takeaway anytime I share it. You guys got him? Yeah, we got him. It was really cool. So we finally got him. He, he was out there for days. And, you know, local news came over and talked to him when he was in the hospital. And if I'm not mistaken, he was, according to this dude, he was like talking to dolphins. And he went from thinking he's going to survive with dolphins to, <laughs> nope, I'm definitely going to die. And then back to surviving. He went through all of it multiple times. And, uh, and then we finally picked him up. So it was, it was pretty cool. Take, took him over to the hospital, spa memorial, I think it was, yeah. dropped him off. So it was pretty cool. Man, so a confirmed good. PIW case that ends like that is, is yeah. a good PIW it's case. Yeah. It's rare. Yeah, it's kind of rare. So kinda it, was, rare. It, was, it was pretty cool. Couple, just, couple lessons learned on that one. Oh, um, sure. You guys might be the ones to ever do a natch. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, and I still remember, I'm like, hey, let's do a natch. In the back of my mind, I was like, okay. What, what so that's what the natch. end, right? Natch. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so first, obviously the spatial D. I mean, you, you start talking about that as best you can. And we, and we talk about that in our syllabuses and, and stuff like that. The other thing I like to share is on this case, it really hit home the importance of looking outside the aircraft before you get in your search pattern. Mm-hmm. We flew over this dude all day and didn't see him. And he was well outside the search area for most of the day. And he said, after we picked him up, he's like, yeah, I saw a orange helicopter over me like five or six times today. Like, it's gotta be the worst feeling. It. Well, that was definitely us for sure. You know, um, out of curiosity, did you guys do a hoist brief? We did. Did. Okay. Yeah, we did. So this dude, I mean, again, like well, once we got there, he definitely had an immersion suit. Uh, he was floating very, very comfortably. He had a vest on. He didn't look. Is dude like the he pe- wasn't bad. peyote with the, uh, with the dolphins. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, we went through the whole thing. 
I think some of it might have been abbreviated, but we, we made it through all the briefs and everything. Yep, picked him up, deployed the swimmer, and then I think we picked him up. Uh, you were sitting right seat, right? Yep. Yeah, so how long did it take you to come back from being completely incapacitated to now you need to sit there and hoist? You know, or I did wanna, Scott no, I, hoist? I want, no, 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 I did it. I did the hoist. Yeah. It was about 20 seconds. Okay. It was 15 or 20 seconds. It, once we kind of came back around on final, so to speak, the, he he perfectly positioned the the survivor on the one to two o'clock. As soon as I saw him, I, I was recaged. I was totally recaged. I was like, okay, I'm back at it. Now is not the time to have that conversation, so to speak. You know, like got we, we got a different fight uh, to fight. Yeah. Well, that'll be a good debriefing item, uh, and it was. Yeah, it was a it was a good lesson learned for myself. You know, um, so. I was able to recage pretty quickly after that. Um, we, we were able to put our landing over lights on him. He had some amount of uh, retroreflective tape on his vest. It was kind of in bad condition, but it did help. And that really helped me recage my internal gyro for sure. Yeah. yeah so it was good. It was good for sure. That's awesome case. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, do you guys have any uh, like aviation advice or anything you want to share with our listeners? We kind of like to end the show with this just like, um, yeah, you talked about keep learning or if you guys got any, any nuggets, any good info or good advice that you've gotten from somebody else. It doesn't have to be original content. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to be original. <laughs> yeah. I always like to say there's, there's three rules to aviation. Look cool. Sound cool. Don't kill yourself. I like those. Yeah. Um, and it, it just goes back to like, never stop flying the aircraft and you go back and look at some of the mishaps and you know. I think sometimes we lose that focus on like, no matter what else happens, like you fly that aircraft until you can no longer fly that aircraft. And uh, that's something that I always impress on guys and is something that I try to strive to as well. Nice. Thanks. Bye, you big guy. Thanks, Kenny. Once again. I mean, he's a poster awesome. child. I know. He's got the phrases. Yeah. Yeah, for the sure. Stories. Um, just the only thing that I have is if we get to some point where and I, th I think we all know that there's a risk there at some point where our agent aircraft really start coming down, our flight hours or aircraft hours start coming down or what have you. We're, we're changing from, it's a litany of stuff that we have going on in our fleet, uh, changing out from the Delta to the Echo or from the 65 to the 60 and all sorts of stuff. We, the list goes on and on. Just continue to do the best you can to have a positive mental attitude. Tell someone when when your head's not in the fight, and and then the other thing is don't ever let your ego get in the way of being able to learn. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if if you think in in your mind that that you're awesome, and that might be true, you might be a terrific aviator. You might even be the senior pilot. You might be an instructor. Like you can always learn something from somebody, and and the thing is is like don't let that ego get in the way. Absorb that knowledge. Tit consider what that person is trying to teach you. Um, specifically coming back here in Mobile, um, something that I, I, I try to throw out there, and this specifically has to do with running the SIM. Mm -hmm. um, even more specific to that would be like an emergency procedure SIM and how Mac Isom does an EP ride in a SIM. I almost don't even, I'm. we all have to simulate EPs. There's a card that tells you how many EPs and what, at least what, what amounts yeah, from every system or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it, and we have to hit those wickets for sure. But I, I almost refer to my rides as a, as a human factors ride mm -hmm. because we're, we are going to get through this and we're, we're going to have 
two or two and a half hours, whatever it is of not just doing EPs, but we're going to get in a situation which is going to be very dangerous and it may not work out. And what I need you guys to do is have a positive mental attitude and be, be ready to, to learn, you know, and it doesn't even have to be from me. It could be between each other, between your, you and your stick buddy. And that that's fine. But what I want is to be able to make mistakes in the simulator. You know what I mean? Make mistakes where it's in a safe place to do so. Admit when you don't remember something or you're not comfortable with something and then try to figure out, you know, then then solve the problem, which is the whole point, right? right? Get back in the books if you need to. Go fly more night flights if you need to. That's fine, but don't, don't, ever, let, don't ever let that ego get in the way mm-hmm. uh, of being the best aviator that you can. Fight the good fight. That's the whole point of the sim, right? Is that there's, there's no consequences. Yeah. So yeah. That's awesome. stress on yourself and yeah. try to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Great insight. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I've enjoyed uh, talking with you, you pros. It's been great. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Thanks for, for sure. thanks for joining us. And uh, for our listeners out there, just once again, uh, YouTube helicopter gets surprising hand signals taxiing for takeoff. Uh, and you can see our very own Mac Ice. I'm doing one of the best LSO uh, signal demonstrations there is out there. So. beautiful this is beautiful i don't know why i'm blushing